I am Alon Ben Mir, and this is episode one of On the Issues. My guest today is Florian Chihoya, executive director of the Kozabar Center for Security Studies. He is the author of several scientific and policy publications in security studies. Today, we'll be discussing the phenomena of violent extremism and the effort to counter it at the governmental and civic levels. So welcome to the, this conversation, Florian. Thank you, Alon. My great pleasure to, to how, meet how, you again. Thank you. So how was your trip? Yeah, it, uh, was, it was good, you know, like, and you now it's traveling for many times from, from Europe to, to here. It's become, you know, like, just well, I, I was, as of I, traveling to Germany 20 years ago, you know, uh, like, from, from... Yeah, I was so happy when I, when I heard you were coming. I said to my staff, oh, come on, let's have this conversation with this gentleman. Yeah, thank he you. is so familiar with these issues, and I'm so glad we have this opportunity to talk, because so many people... Uh, you know, they talk about extreme Islamic extremism, radicalization, counter-radicalization. But I think there is, uh, on the whole, there is less really understanding what this is all about, what it's going to take. I mean, we're living in a very unusual time. Yes. And I'm not sure it's going to get any better anytime soon. What's, what's your take on these kind of issues, you know? It, it is actually that new, Alan, even to us, you know, like in the Balkans, which we, have, we are very rich in terms of the conflicts. You know, like, and as Winston Churchill said once, you know, like, Balkan produced more history than it was actually <laughs> yeah. the truth. Uh, and um, let's say in, in our context, let's say in, in our Balkan context, we were educated on how to deal with other security problems in the past. You know, like, your enemy are for the Albanians are the Serbs, and for the Serbs is are the Albanians and the Croats. But no, nobody was ever taught on how to deal with let's say, religious extremism, you know, like this ideology was very new because, in, at least in the context of the Balkans, right, there right, was no, yeah. no, let's say, some sort of inner f- fragmentation yeah. between Shia and Sunni or between different sects of, you know, like people are not aware about which sect of Islam or Christianity they belong to that much because people yeah. are not that much religious. So, you know, like this was a very new phenomenon. It was... Definitely an externally driven an yeah. agenda that came, you know, like from Middle East, obviously, you know, like because this was uh, the, the post-conflict period has been used as a mean to to uh, extend, you know, like the influence from, right, right, from the yeah, East, yeah. but so, also from the West, you know, yeah. like because we have to be quite honest on this. So countries suddenly became subject to, to this yeah. and that. So, yeah. So, you know, how I see it now is that... Um, with the rise of ISIS, yes. many things sort of came to a focus. Yes. All of a sudden, the Western community uh, awakened to a new reality. And there's very little experience in dealing with it. Obviously, there was extremism going back many decades. But from their perspective, it was manageable. Yes. It was manageable. With the eruption of the Arab Spring, with the invasion, of, before that, the invasion of Iraq by the Bush administration, or with what's going on in Syria, with the proxy war between the Sunni and the Shiite, of course the rise of, um, of ISIS, <clears throat> all of this put together created an entirely different dynamic when it comes to extremism. And now this extremism obviously is spilling or spilled over, spilling all over, all over the world. And Europe itself is becoming a, a major target. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of people talking about 
how to deal with this phenomena, what to do. And obviously, you need to begin to think in terms how do you resolve some of the very violent conflict in the Middle East in particular. Yes. But yeah, I, I don't feel, for example, I don't really think at this point, if you resolve some of these violence, you're going to, you're going to end extremism as we know it. What, what, I, uh, think, I think you can only minimize the potential, but you're right, not going yeah. to solve the problem. Yeah. Um, I think, first of all, in my observation, and I think the observation of many people now is that there needs to be, let's say, local ownership in the processes of prevention and deradicalization. What we mean by this is that, like, uh, the international community and the West was always interested to get involved to an extent that they deal with uh, uh, from A to Z, you know, like with, with all of the processes. They send their air job yeah, consultants, yeah. they send their people, you know, like in that way they think that they uh, help prevention. Same as they did, for instance, in our case with reconciliation. Yeah. And it turned to be not a successful project, you know. like <laughs> So it, there needs to be locals to be involved in the process. Right. Not only locals like the elites, the very elites, because this is a problem as well, but locals in in a, in a holistic way, you know, like the uh, represent religious leaders in this case, yeah. you know, like because we are talking about ISIS and the uh, tendency to misuse Islam. And this is this is this is exactly you know you were you using the word holistic, and we agree. I think we both obviously agree that you can uh, reduce the intensity, but you're not going to wipe out ideology. No. Now, then we go back, I want to go back to the root causes. And in my view, what the West has been doing in particular, in terms of, like we said earlier, we talked a little about it before, you know, when I was in Europe, they were talking so much about, and I was in the parliament, they were talking so much about uh, the importance of sharing intelligence, the importance of uh, augmenting and strengthening internal security. But there was very little talk, really, about how to de-radicalize yes. the youth, both in the European, within the European community, and certainly within the Arab world. Yes. So this is where I think there's, there's something missing in terms of how do you deal with the root causes? Because yes, you can defeat ISIS tomorrow, and I think ISIS will be defeated yeah. at one point. And or it's another. being defeated. But ideology, yeah. ideologically, they're not going to be defeated. Absolutely. So how do you deal with the root causes? And this is where I've been struggling and you know, trying to find some answer to this question. I think Europe is uh, late in terms of having this transition uh, from the doctrinal shift, this kind of doctrinal shift from purely anti-terrorism measures into countering or preventing violent extremism. I think Europe is still, you know, like struggling how, how to make this transition because we really need to make this transition. We really need to make sure that one of the means, and maybe the last mean, is security as a mean or an instrument to counter violent extremism. And I think now all agree declaratively, but it is just now that, for instance, the European Union has started to make some, to channel some funding on this holistic approach to violent extremism. But where is this funding is going to? That's the whole thing. But yeah, I think, I think now, now the idea is that they strengthen the communities, they invest in the Within the European community, are you talking yes, about? Yes, yeah. yes. The question, Florian, is that enough? Let's suppose... No, that no absolutely. No, so no, that, that's in my I, view, that's not enough. You know, like, it, I think we need to take two different contexts for, for Europe, if I may. Yeah. One is, let's say, Western context, context is quite different with, let's say, the context of Southeast Europe. Why? Because in the Western context, to my knowledge, is that we are talking about individuals 
who mostly belonging to uh, uh, Muslim families who have been, you know, like they are originally from uh, North Africa and Middle East. And they suddenly, you know, like start to think differently from their parents. And uh, they uh, been trapped into this ideology by the idea of lacking some sort of identity. Are we Algerians or French? Are we Europeans or something else? So this crisis of identity there requires different measures because we are not talking about conditions or poor conditions that much in the context of Western Europe, making these people more radicalized. Because in turn, in our context, we have the opposite. We do not have that much the crisis of identity, but in, in the context of the Balkans, it is the very idea that we still are struggling with this uh, ex-cathedra, what we call system of education. Uh, there is lack of critical thinking. And apparently uh, the speech of some uh, uh, suspicious and controversial imams in YouTube appears to be much more uh, attractive for one hour than 30 hours of school teaching in, in the public school, in the secular schools. Yes, yes, so, yes. We, so my point is that uh, we need to make radical investments in terms of reforming the education system, at least in, the, in, in our context, in, in, in the way that we have the critical thinking as a way, you know, like we still do not have this critical thinking as you have here in the US, you know, like that the kids are being taught from the beginning of making the debate. Yeah, yeah. It is still the professor or the teacher coming and speaking, you know, like, and the, the, the kids, you know, like, just listening. And then they, the, the teacher leaves. Yeah, there is, there, is, there is no dialogue. As a matter of fact, only a few days ago, I was at the Council of Foreign Relations, and now we spoke um, uh, former Prime Minister, um, what was his Tony name? Tony Blair. Yeah, Tony Blair. Tony Blair. Tony Blair, and he was, his entire focus was on education. Yes. So what he is saying, actually, that if we were to focus on education, we may not solve the problem right away, but that is going to solve the problem of radicalization yeah. in, the, in the long term. Yeah. But when you talk about identity, the way I see it, that is, why do I search for an identity? What is compelling me to do that, right? Now, if I'm happy where I am, let us suppose take, take Muslim living in France or Muslim living in England. Yeah. If they're happy, if they're integrated, would they have the motivation, the reason to seek for a new identity had they been able to develop British identity or French identity? Now, what is stopping them from developing that identity? In my, I, and I think you will agree with me, is the lack of integration. Be that because of the host government yes. is not, allow, not allowing, not pushing them in that direction. And also because they make their own choices in terms trying to remain as a cohesive group, you know, allowing themselves to live in a ghetto and do not want to uh, mingle or become part of the overall society. I fully agree. I think that's the yeah. case also in our case, you know, like we have communities, the most remote parts of communities, which basically have individuals, have an ego, you know, like, uh, but they do not have any means or alternatives where, or options where to perform these egos, if I can put it this way, you know, like, yeah. there are, this is the only game in town, somebody comes with this ideology and appears to be the only actor that can provide some sort of options. Yeah, it's from different perspective, yeah, but yeah. I think, I think it's, it's there, you know, like, and we can compare, there is some sort of analogy, because, you know, like, these people appears to be the first people in the town, and, you know, like, they, they were uh, apparently much more successful. You know, like than the secular 
state, you know, like in the secular institutions that we have. So I think in, in that regard, you are you are right, you know, like that this, you know, like that. And because there is a lack of uh, involvement of the politicians and the people working in the government, you know, like there is no discussion with people apart from the election campaign. And it's still, you know, to my knowledge, and it's still not this effort, I mean, the, the governments, the various European communities, are they really making that particular effort and try to to integrate? And this is a major investment. I, I don't believe they are putting enough resources to to integrate. And knowing full well, you know, there's a lot of talk about integration, integration, but it's really, they, I don't think there is enough they are devoting, uh, allocating enough funds to revamp, um, re reform education system, offering job opportunities and growth within the larger social uh, milieu. And, and I keep hearing, you know, doing much of the same, but they are not actually focusing on you know, taking the kind of measures necessary in order to get the people to think differently about themselves and about their surroundings. Yes. And, and, and wh where do we go from here? I mean, this is, they know the problem, but I don't think they understand what they are willing to do, whatever it takes in order to change the, the, the dynamic of this uh, yeah. phenomenon. We will return to our conversation with Florian in a moment. As a reminder, you can sign up for my mailing list on my website, alonbenmir.com. Follow me on Twitter at alonbenmir or download my articles to listen to on the go from my SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash alonbenmir. Yeah, I think I, I fully agree. And in, in this case, you can just use the example, I mean, like, or the reference of Oliver Roy for France. Uh, he's a well-known um, professor from the University of Florence in Italy, but he's French, as far as I know. And he said that we are not talking about, in this case, about ISIS. We are not talking about Islamic extremism, but we are talking about Islamization of extremism. This is the way how he named it. In the sense that this extremism has been uh, brought up, you know, like uh, now, and it's becoming trendy because of the causes which has to do with the lack of integration and so on. It's just that yeah. now it has this Islamic flavor in the context of France, for instance, right, you know, like right. yeah. or Belgium yeah. and so on. So I think I think he, his his uh, hypothesis can be uh, well tested in in, in in that context because you know, like you have you have suburbs of uh, Belgium and France, you know, like which are. You know, like people are simply uh, not integrated into 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 the society. No, like, and, you not, can, yeah. and you can talk about some certain hotbeds if yeah. you can use it in this way. Like Moldberg, for instance, in in Belgium. You know, like that, that that was always some sort of hotbed. You know, like it was just in one side it was maybe the willingness of people to behave. You know, like differently or distinctly differently from the rest of the society. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. also it was the willingness of some sort of unintended consequence of the uh, governments in, in Belgium, you know, like, and all of this, uh, you know, a complicated federal structure of Belgium, you know, like, to keep uh, these hotbeds as they are, you know, like, because they were not willing to integrate these people. Right, right, yeah. I do buy the point that also this kind of former colonial past, you know, like, now is, you know, like, is backfiring because, you know, like, uh, lots of people use this kind of 
past because I mean you know like to to radicalize people and say that look what the West did to us and I think in this regard France Belgium uh, are the most notable uh, countries that have been used in this narrative and radical narrative you know like to mobilize yeah. people yeah you yeah. know I, I I take it I take it another step that is let us assume at one point that the European community will do the right thing will spend the money to integrate will revamp the educational system let us say they will do the right thing will still would that be enough and I, I go back now to the, to the Arab state themselves now what you have there not to speak of the Balkans but take the, the Arab world for yes. the time being what you have there you have tens of millions of young people you know I, I, someone estimated 175 million under the age of 25 okay so you have tens of, tens of millions of young people in the age between 16 and 24, 25, who are, many of them are idle. Many of them don't have the kind of education yes. they need. Many of them very poor, very poor. You can give them all the freedom you want. You can give them a free election. You can give them what you want. But what they need, they need a hope. They need opportunity. Yes. They need job. Absolutely. Now, if you fix the problem in Europe, but you still have a major source, major source of a new ex of extremist, young Arabs, young Muslims, who still have no place to go, and for them, as far as I see, you know, but for them, European communities still are very hostile. From what they've heard from their parents, their yes. grandparents, they are very hostile to the European community because of colonialism. They have not experienced it themselves, but they 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 have that information from their elders. So yeah, they speak. have been served, let's say, the, only the, the bad part. Indoctrinated yeah. with that. They feel victims themselves of what the West has done. Yeah. I mean, this is one reason why they target the West, in my view. Yes. How are you going to deal with that? That is, if the Arab state, the poor countries, take Egypt as an example, take Muslim states like in, in Afghanistan, um, Pakistan, some of the Arab countries in Morocco, Tunisia, not Tunisia as much. How are you going to try to stem to that source in order to be able to more or less permanently address the issue of radicalization within the European community? So I don't see any level of serious cooperation that is working the West with the Arab countries in that particular effort in terms of, for example, sustainable development, that is beginning some kind of a project where you can uh, elevate, mm -hmm. where you can improve you know, can the, uh, the, the plight and the problem of the young generation. Don't you see this as the, one of the main problems in terms of root causes? Well, I, I think this is, uh, maybe I would say it's an unintended consequence in the sense that um, West still keeps seeing things in the Middle East from the Western perspective. And I think this is a problem. And always there is a generic reference to democratic values and so-called Western, uh, what they call best Western values or something. We never know which of these values. Like, we know which of these values, which has to do with the democracy and that, 
but we are sure that not all of these values can be applicable in all of the countries. Well, they're not, not even in the Balkans, well, which is geographically yeah. in Europe. So, yeah. you know, like this is the let's say we have been studying about the policing modeling, you know, like, and they were saying the best policing modeling is the uh, policing model from Finland and from Denmark. And, you know, like that was never applicable in the Balkans, you know, because it's a complete, you have completely different security challenges. And the same thing, so look what happened in Egypt. I mean, you know, we yeah. push, we push the, the Mubarak regime, we toppled Mubarak, and then we try to introduce democratic form of government. And look where we are today. Yeah, exactly. Look what's so happening this in Iraq. Is, this is the way, you know, like they yeah. say, what we need to do in the, in, uh, in Middle East, this is a narrative, and most of the politicians, European politicians, follow this narrative, but is that we need to have democratic elections there, you know, like we need to make sure that there is democracy being there, you know, like there is a transition and so on. It's everything in there. But that we but, know that doesn't work. I mean, when will the West learn that that part of the world has a different culture, yes. different religion, different orientation, different mindset? Are we going there to introduce to them concept, political concept, social concept, that is totally alien to them? Yeah. It is alien to them. Absolutely. So it's not going to work. I mean, that we have, you know, the West, in my view, need to find a kind, different kind of formula to work with these, uh, with these states, specifically the, the poor ones. Yes. And I don't see any significant effort made in that direction. And you know, when we talk about root causes, unless we begin, I think, that kind of process, I don't think we're going to see any end or any even reduction in terms of the radicalization of the Arab yeah. and Muslim. And you know, like EU, for instance, has quite significant resources, if they want, in terms of development assistance. Not in terms of sending food, in the Middle East, but obviously in terms of facilitating, let's say, mobility of youth between the Middle East people, and of course, why not between Middle East countries and and European Union? That's so it. people people could see, could touch the real Europe, you know, like not the Europe that they see in the movies, exactly. But because and and I think that this so-called neighborhood policy that EU has, for instance, it does only touch the Balkans and Ukraine. But it does not touch that much, you know, like Middle East and North Africa. And that's and and, and I, you know, like how does it touch from the individual member states' perspective? For instance, you see, Italy is interested in the Libya in Libya because they have the past and you know the heritage in, in Libya. Or you have uh, France being interested in uh, Morocco, Algeria, and and so on. You know, like it's it's still this because of this traditional approach of the countries, but not EU as a whole. You know, like I right, think there needs to right. be some mega that's investments. Right in terms of facilitating the mobility, in terms of uh, maybe why not, you know, like some having some sort of, uh, if not visa-free regime, but some sort of um, facilitation of visa for students. So there are uh, less and less uh, problems for people to to apply for visas. Yeah, to apply, you know, like, to be exposed, to be to, first exposed yeah. to Western culture. Businessmen, yeah, yeah. businessmen, civil society, yeah, academic yeah, students. Yeah. You know, like they suffer from getting a, a single entry visa to Europe, you know, like, and I think in this regard, there needs to be some sort of options, you know, like of how do you make sure that these I, people I, have I more think, access. I think this is a very important point, that is, if imagine the Western community would admit 20, 30,000 between themselves, free tuition, free tuition, come and study. Of course, there are many Muslims, many Arabs go to a study in Europe. I mean, this is nothing new. But how, you know, if you increase that number, I wanna, you know, I want to talk about a little bit more. And I haven't really spoke about de-radicalization in terms of the media. Yeah. In the media. 
I think, I think that that is still uh, very missing in terms of how do we counter the arguments of the extremists. Mm-hmm. You know, they are, they, how they are, because they are using very skillfully modern um, uh, social media, very skillfully. I mean, this is one way they recruit. And our counter-argument, our counter-narrative to that, so far in my view, has not been uh, sufficient enough because we are not using the same language. You know, I I spoke, you know, when we spoke earlier in in, uh, Colombia, we talked about the need to counter these arguments, religious preaching and religious indoctrination need to be countered by religious teaching just the same. So that the listener, the person, the young fellow, who is listening to this, who potentially could be recruited, can understand there is a counter-argument in the same language. Yes. So, so do I mean, I'm not, fami- I'm not aware that there is clear understanding that this is, that is needed. And of course, among other things, do you, have you come across any such effort, such campaign? Not, not really, you know, like there are, there are uh, talks on this, but until recently there was a uh, a wrong uh, understanding that there needs to be counter-narratives. But these counter-narratives need to be done either by secularists, if I can put it in this way, like people that uh, uh, have completely different view from, from the religion or they don't believe in religion. And in this case, we are talking about religious flavoring the extremism, at least when you talk about Islamic extremism. So the idea was that you either involve people that have no clue about religion in creating counter-messaging, or you pick up some the most moderate imams, you know, like, and, and, I think, and I think I think you know, like, picking the most moderate imams would backfire, you know, like in a way, you know why? Because those are basically under the spot of extremists saying, and let's say Salafi movements, you know, like saying that they have no clue about Islam, and basically you cannot influence these people to change eventually their mind. Especially they. Yeah, but that's but that's going to be absolutely necessary. I wanted no, to. No, imagine, I want to say yes, something, yeah. if I may. You, yeah. we, what what one need to make sure is to need to 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 identify imams that have some sort of conservative views, but are not extremists. So and there know, are many. I'm sure there are, are many, many. There are many. So many, yeah. we you, we need to categorize. We need to categorize like the imams which are considered to be moderate. No. The moms that are considered to be conservative, yet not violent or yeah. not uh, promoting uh, hate speech, and imams or so-called imams that promote hate speech and they are recruiting uh, ISIS people. So I, I would opt for this middle category, category yeah. because they can eventually influence people that are you know like between violent between, and non-violent. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I think in this regard we we were not uh, we were not uh, successful. When I say we, like the entire international community. Because you know, like we, we are reluctant to use these people because then we think that we cannot uh, countenance this agenda with uh, Islamic uh, narrative. But this is the way how we do it because ninety percent, ninety percent, ninety percent of the narrative that ISIS is using Islamic narrative. You know, we had a project, and I will not name uh, one of our partners in Kosovo, and we did some counter messaging, and their answer was that because we need to be politically correct. Uh, you cannot use that much of, let's say, Islamic counter-narratives, but you need use also some other counter-narratives for the public life and so on. But they don't use that much. 
90% of the narrative they use is about, you know, like interpreting uh, Quran uh, the way how they interpret or Hadith or Ayat or uh, and so on, you know, like so we need to find proper people to to create this kind of And that is missing, you know, I always imagine what would happen if you have this in the conservative, you know, Imams, neither extremely to the left, certainly not to the right. Imagine you have four, five, six of them sitting, like we are, you and I are talking now, yeah. and discuss these issues, discuss radicalization, just, you know, explain why, you know, the Quran itself is not, does not preach violence. Yes. It's just how they interpret the Quran. Uh, people like ISIS, like uh, Absolutely. extremists. You know people. what they ask? Like people that are, at least from, from the Balkans, now I, I'll refer to my expertise, uh, we have evidence that they were all, like the principal terrorists in ISIS. They ask basically the recruiters to send people that have no clue about religion. Don't yes. send us. They, they have been quoted. Don't send us this. Uh, they use some Arabic way. Munafir, you know, like Munafir. Uh, yeah. yeah, Munafir. Don't send Munafir. Those that think that this is the way of Islam, but send us those that you know, like, don't have clue about Islam, yeah, because you know, they, like, this can be manipulated. Exactly. They so want they to capitalize on their ignorance, as far as that goes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, you know, like, so yeah. you know, we really need yeah. to to use these people because it's it's a wrong uh, way of uh, putting all of these people into one category because the first target of uh, ISIS people are actually people that promote Islam in a proper way. Right, right. You know, right, like, that, yeah. that's their target. And when you see in the social media, they more deal with these people than with people belonging to other religions. You know, I, I just want to mention something to you that is outside the discussion of radicalization. I'm, I mean, I'm advocating, for example, um, uh, why Jerusalem ought to be a, a capital of two states. And how do you actually reach out to the Israelis as well to the Palestinians? Imagine you have a rabbis, a well-known religious Jewish or religious um, scholars or rabbi, and you have imams, and you have priests sitting and discussing this kind of issue that has serious religious connotation, that is Jerusalem itself. Mm-hmm. We don't see that. Yes. We don't see that. So we all we talk about the conflict over, over a city, but we are not using the kind of tools necessary to explain to the public both Palestinian Arabs as well as Jews and Israelis, why what it is that need to be done, and to you know, discuss the pros and cons about how what the future of Jerusalem should be. And anything in terms of de-radicalization, this is in my view absolutely critical. Yeah. The counter narrative has a strong religious foundation. Absolutely. In order to be able to convince the young, this is not not the way to go. I, I think this is something that's going to live with us, be with us for such a long time. Yes. And we can, we can probably talk about it for more. Do you have any? You, you, you know, you know what? You know yeah. what? We are going. To, why we are going to do this? And I will explain you very uh, based on uh, in, in our context. Now you have, let's say, uh, these practitioners of conservative Islam, violent or non-violent, whatever. They are. Me, uh, re- uh, reflect a mixture of traditional and non-traditional practitioners, what we call. You know, like there used to be some sort of traditional practitioners of Islam, you know, like but suddenly they got some contacts with, I yeah. don't know, with uh, Saudi Arabia or Qatar or maybe even Egypt, and then they suddenly started to behave differently. We are wondering about, let's say, young people, young Muslim people, now being at their 18 years old, 
going to some conservative schools or so-called schools, returning as imams or so-called imams, yeah. they make will make a long-term problem in terms of you know like widespread conservative and violent views because they are stripped from the identity. Yeah. They do not make reference to national identities, not even to citizenships and so on. They refer to Uma or whatever. So we will have a problem in the long term on how to deal exactly. with this counter, exactly. counter messaging because exactly. all of their narrative is religious narrative. Exactly. And there is little being done to combat this no. phenomenon. And that is, I think, you know, I, I feel, I really don't feel optimistic about this um, because I don't, A, I mean, the three, four things that are missing, correct me if you think I'm wrong. One is that lack of cooperation between the West and the Islamic world. Yes. In terms of what to do, you know, together, that is, it's got to be some programs they both handle. I think there's lack of, co lack of uh, effort and financing, putting enough resources in integration within the European community. And that's another reason. And I think the other part is that uh, uh, the counter-narrative has been weak at best and has not been really um, um, enlisting the kind of people that needed to do that kind of campaign, the counter, engage in that kind of counter-narrative. Yes. Uh, and the third thing, I think, the lack of understanding the culture. We still have no West doesn't really understand the culture. And then finally, like you said, education. Yeah. That is, there isn't enough emphasis put on education to at least begin a process how the next generation is going to learn. And then the last point he made, which is very important, and that is those who study religious studies, and they are young, and they create their own cocoon, yes. their own world. Yes. And basically isolating themselves from the West and including their own country. Yeah, yeah. Their own countries. And, uh, you know, like, because this is a problem. Yeah. In the past, there was some sort of national sentiment. Right. And people could combine a national sentiment with religious or not even having a religious. Now, they are creating their own community. Community that you basically based your uh, work and based your... Uh, performance, uh, you know, like based on your community and yeah. Islamic uh, conservative agendas. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think we can talk about this for for much longer. For, for time. hours, yeah. I mean, if we, not we, days. We, we should have another another meeting like this. And With talk great a pleasure. Bit more we look forward. Yeah, terrific. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank and you. Uh, let's uh, let's hope that. When, if we meet and talk about it, and I think I'm sure it's going to happen, we can be, be a little bit more positive yes. <laughs> about the prospect yeah. of, of extremism and how to derail that, especially the young. I, I, to me, you know, um, I see that we are constantly victimizing the next generation. And this is what's been happening in the Arab world. And as long as that is not being fixed, and then, you know, the next generation is going to be just as poison and, and, and uh, with, the, with the teaching of the all. And that is, that is really a problem. Yes. And I hope we can, we can uh, some kind of process uh, take place to begin to change the dynamics. Yeah. Let's unite and let's work for the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page. 
and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcement.